Are you ready to clear a new path? Are you ready to get vulnerable and lead with truth? Welcome to Clearing a New Path Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Clearing a New Path Podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-oppressive rural Canada, one that genuinely embraces authenticity and is rooted in reconciliation. Each episode, we'll examine issues and look for collective solutions all outside of the city limits. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. This episode, I again turn the microphone to folks who share a lens I do not have. This is an intergenerational conversation, a mom and son whose experience and perspective is as people of color who once lived in urban settings and now have moved to the country. Majde and her son Darius talk about safety, access to cultural food, infrastructure, climate, and agriculture, among a number of other topics. The two have recently gone into business together with their consulting agency, Cox & Co., a full-scale, values-driven firm providing strategic advisory services, training and skills building, and specializing in ethical governance and deep anti-oppression. Maj Cox is an award-winning consultant, convener, and facilitator who is nationally recognized for her expertise in anti-oppression and human rights. For over a decade, Maj has coached organizational and community leaders, businesses, and not-for-profit organizations across all sectors on reimagining their work through a heightened equity lens rooted in social justice. From organizing and convening the largest equity-based lobby on Parliament Hill on Indigenous rights and justice for the Canadian Labour Congress, to facilitating conversations and consultations leading to the co-creation of the Community Diversity and Inclusion Strategy, CDIS, for the City of London. Most recently, Majde's Thought leadership on radical accountability has been nationally recognized in her tenure as president and CEO of Pillar Nonprofit Network. Majde currently lives in the country with her partner, their four children, including Darius, and their not-so-mini, mini-golden-doodle, Leo. Darius Cox was born and mostly raised in London and is currently a King's University College Western University student majoring in political science and minoring in sociology. With a passion for learning and leadership, Darius has been a leading delegate in the North Meets South Exchange, where youth create a policy framework to draw attention to issues facing Indigenous peoples in Northern Ontario after learning firsthand of the culture and experiences. Darius has also been a delegate at the Smart Start Youth Summit, 
centered around developing leadership and ethics competencies to work on building your future. During high school, Darius had a leading role in a program called Man Up, addressing toxic masculinity and emphasizing respect towards others, especially women. He also sits on the board for the Gender Equality Coalition of Ontario as their youth chair. I give you Majde and Darius Cox on living in rural Ontario. I found out that after 1980 in all of rural Ontario, that migration and immigration stayed like relatively steady at anywhere between 11 to 13% increase year over year. Whereas prior to that, we could see, you know, 50% over year, over, you know, depending on yeah. when we're looking at the history. And based on that, we know that migrants within Ontario make up 90% of any immigration into rural, any population increase is attributed to migrants from Ontario. Migrants from other provinces only consist of 6%. And then international migrants constitute 4%. So that's sort of the overall demographics of like who's coming in. Now, this is based on 2021 stats. So the census, as you may know, Deke, runs on a cycle. The next one comes out 2026. So we have some time to really see what's going on. In 2021, the overall rural population was just under two and a half million across Ontario. Now, this is the interesting part. The median age of people in rural areas is 47 years of age compared to about 44 with urban populations. Now, ironically, our area is 44 years is the median in the county. Um, I'm curious on maybe it's the proximity to the city that younger folks are coming out. I'm not sure. But I do know that this has been a misleading age because people, Indigenous folks across Indigenous communities that lace what we call London have a much younger median of 31. What do you think rural Canada generates as GDP contribution to Canada's economy? I would say at least a few percent. Yeah, um, so it's 2070. 2070. I'll, I'll, I'll save you your misery okay. here. It okay. is, it's 27%. Okay. So stats out of the way, that's what we know. This is what sort of the context of like, who's going in, who's going out, who's staying, what's the age and what are the contributions? Unfortunately, I hate to frame things this way. You know how irritated I get by ultra-capitalistic framing of people. But this is what is the contribution. So we've got two and a half years skin in the game. What are your initial reflections of living uh, in, in the county? For someone my age, my initial reflection is I've more so loved it. Uh, you know, coming from pretty much an entire urban you know urban life it's it's been a great experience being out here um and i don't want to say that we're we're truly truly ruralistic you know we're not like you know thousands you know hundreds it it is kind of fake country i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna lie we are kind of living the fake country life but we are rural you know we're outside city limits we you know don't have the same amenities that you know a lot of urban folks do have um, so I, w- I would definitely still consider us to be in rural Ontario. You know, we still have to drive a pretty pretty substantial distance to get to grocery stores and such. You know, I enjoy the quiet life. I enjoy the pri- private life. So I think this has been probably, you know, the greatest 
you know, pretty much greatest move that we've made. Um, oh, really? Yeah, 100%. That's really interesting. We're coming from Ottawa into the rural life. Like, that's where, we, that's where we're coming from. And, you know, we had that, that suburb, suburban Ottawa experience. And that, that's a lot of my core memories are there. I'm not going to discredit any of that life. You know, that lifestyle was, you know, I liked it. But I, I, I think it was more so that suburban feeling. I just didn't like it. There was just too many people in everybody else's business. And uh, um, I just, I, I wanted to have that, like, that kind of secluded lifestyle where you have neighbors. You know, you can have, you know, great relationships with the people around you. You can have those relationships just point blank period, but you don't have to have those relationships at the same time. You know, you don't, you can choose to say hello or not. You know, you don't have to make that awkward eye contact every single time you walk outside to somebody who's, you know, two feet away from you. There's this narrative that you build community in and around your home. Yeah. And I think for racialized people, that's a little bit of a different story because yeah. our home, our coveted spaces, and we've had some really interesting interactions. I think that's perhaps where your perspective and lens around people being in your business and not having the privacy and safety and sort of the sanctity yep. of your home honored. And so I get it. And through that lens, I get it. But through the lens of community building, boy, is it ever hard in comparison. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. It's, it's definitely a lot harder. It's pretty thin out here when it comes to, you know, wanting to, to have that community built. But I think what we're seeing now, you know, especially since we're, you know, looking at, uh, you know, a an insanely growing population over the last few years, we're, we're going to start seeing that community, you know, probably built in the next, you know, five, 10 years, you know, we're going to start to see a lot more people, uh, you know, come in, you know, come to, you know, where we are, because we're not, again, we're not that far out of the city. So they're definitely going to build out. We are going to have the opportunity to, to, you know, have that community building experience. Despite the I think inequities in infrastructure, like division of infrastructure, money, infrastructure money is being inequitably divided between rural and urban communities. What you're saying is that you're in the next five to 10 years, you would predict that it'll, there will be far more interconnectedness between those economies. Is that what I'm hearing correctly? Yeah. Hold that thought because you want to know what I think? of living in, in, in the county. I want to talk about my trauma for a moment here because when we moved here, we did do our homework, just so you know. Daddy and I did our homework. We called up our internet service provider and at that time, we all heard you know, that we're going to be fine and this was at the peak. So we moved June, Ju sorry, July of 2021. The province started to open back up with COVID phase. I think we were at like phase one-ish around, you know, hit start around June of 2021. So I needed to work remotely and safely, but I, I had the option of going on site, thank goodness, because no internet. We came here and I, in my wildest dreams, never thought I would be back to circa 2004, 2006 speeds in this lifetime again. And I was, and it was really problematic. I remember, oh my goodness, I had this presentation with the Law Society of Ontario and I thought, I'm ready to pack this house up, six of us plus little Leo, and move because I, it, I was infuriated at how I couldn't even manage a stable conversation uh, with a 30-minute presentation uh, built in. It was just such an impediment on my life at the time. Otherwise, my mood, because we can choose and we have the privilege, D, right, the difference between, I think, 
many families and us at this moment is that we have the privilege of going into town for our amenities. And London, most of our amenities were met. Most of our cultural amenities were not. So we're kind of in the same boat. That's slowly changing. Now we can't find our meat (laughs) at a decent price. Uh, We have to travel 200 kilometers down the highway to buy meat. Uh, That's appropriate. But uh, I think that's going to slowly change. So in my perspective, I love this concept of living in fake country and having the privilege and the access to, you know, get amenities in the city. Uh, Yet, you know, we get to wave at our wonderful neighbors and look at this beautiful greenery and so on. So, you know, my fear is though we're on about what an acre and a half where you're utilizing some of it. If you remember, we had our own butternut squash. We're eating a lot of the stuff that daddy grows. I take no responsibility, as you know, nothing. I only keep humans and animals alive. I somehow missed the mark on, 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 on agriculture and farming and having that green thumb. But we do utilize the space somewhat. It is challenging because of the septic system to really do more with our space. However, it is, to me, a bit of a situation where I know right across the street, the nine acres are going to have new builds. And is that going to, is that going to be the same vibe in the next five years? Are we going to still feel that serenity, that peace? My inkling is that probably not. We're going to have a different experience and it'll come with its good things and its bad things. Initial reactions of city, county life versus city life. Um, I'm really impressed to hear that you think it's the smartest move we've made. We'll pet myself on the shoulder. As far as the move, and this is after you you picked the house in Ottawa, so and the neighborhood in Ottawa. So that is, I'm surprised. What else is on your mind about county life? I want to kind of speak to your final remark about you don't think it's going to be the the same at all, or over the next five ten years. Like I can definitely see how it's not going to be the same. But I still feel like we're going to have, like, as long as we hold on to what we got, I don't think we're going to, I mean, we can kind of still have that same vibe. Um, but as we still have those those houses being built on the other side, you know, I think it's still going to bring a lot more amenities that we do need, though, at the same time. Like, okay. we're going to have, like, we don't have sewage. Yeah, um, so we're on I mean, septic. Like, we're on septic tanks, as you said. So, like, there is going to be some positives to that. It's going to open up a lot of our capabilities of using the washrooms as many times as we need to you're acting like we're we're not in no like camp here all right like we're good but i mean i also wanted to you know quickly ask you a question from a parent's perspective uh, oh you know obviously can i have that in writing i don't often get this questions from a parent's perspective i love this go ahead all of it i've had my fair share of of experiences throughout my life you know Mm -hmm. i've you know socially um you know both you know when it comes to you know racial experiences when it comes to gender and and such just throughout my entire life you know there's been uh obviously we're starting to kind of have more of a more of an understanding and we're starting to teach things um a lot more than even what i was able to see and i'm super young even with that you know like how do you see there being or do you even seeing uh see there being a substantial difference in you know, how I was raised and how, you know, the kind of experiences that I had living pretty much all my life in urban in, in an urban setting 
in contrast to how my siblings will sort of see things around them and how they're going to be raised and the kind of values they're going to be instilled with because obviously there's going to be a different childhood, not so much of a different childhood, but different experiences, different social settings are going to find themselves in more than likely. So like, how, how do you think it kind of plays out? Rural or urban or not, you know what they say, Darius, is that each child has a different parent, even though they're the same mom and dad, because, you know, I'm a human too. And so, you know, 21 years ago, if I don't, if you don't mind me aging you, 21 years ago, I was a different person. So inevitably, these children, you have three younger siblings, are going to have a different experience than you did. 100%. Just by the sheer fact that your father and I, daddy and I are two different and completely evolved human beings like from from where we were mind you we were great young folks i have to say like we were young parents that quickly got into the the stride of parenting you and we had 8 years of solo time with you <laughs> so that alone okay like do you even know how privileged you are for that time like alone i'm glad that you see the benefit of that because you had a lot of adults pouring a lot of time over you and so you know, the same the same people are pouring the love into these children's lives. Mind you, we're in a completely different environment and their lives are quite different. If, as you know, we had to take the children from a different school. Like we've had to switch their schools because conditions within the school and capacity of the educators at that school that couldn't meet the demand of the students and their families. And it was really challenging year for us. We were all very, like, I think I can name half of my white hairs on my head after that school year because it was a very stressful one. So on one hand, we and then so I was really nervous. I'm like, okay, I'm taking them from this French immersion. We were zoned to be able to go into London for the school and and totally shift their their education to English only and bring them into a county school. And I was petrified. I don't know if you remember, I held my breath for like eight weeks. I was like, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen to these kids? Are they gonna be safe? Our kids, are they going to make friends? Are they, are the teachers going to see their full potential? And to our luck, we were able to see actually quite a bit of that for their classes and their school to be as small as it is, is a real benefit for us because we get to really change the hearts and minds of people that need those changes to happen. And we can be taken seriously. We've had a really positive experience in the school system with these kids so far in the county in comparison to the 12 years I walked with you in the public school system between London and Ottawa, you spent your core public school years here in London at one school and, you know, knew all of the kids, the community knew us, but it was really challenging. If you remember, like we had teachers not like come to me and try to tell me certain things about you. And I thought, "Mm -mm, I know if, a child displays these characteristics in three settings, then we need to explore it. But if, if, if it's only in this classroom, then the classroom's the issue. So immediately when you talk about parenting, my mind goes straight to the classroom and school because kids are spending more time there than they are in their own households, Monday to Friday, awake hours anyways. I'm ranting a little bit because I do think that there was one positive element of the county with their upbringing, one distinctly positive one for your father and I, which is that we get to know the educators and the educators get to know us. We get to see the families and there is that proximity of knowing each other in a very smaller circle that 
gives people a certain heightened level of responsibility and accountability for their actions and behaviors. So there's definitely a lot more topical niceness now that we experience. Now, on the other hand, there's no community, you know, park or neighborhood that, you know, if you recall, I was a young mom that was a full-time student and, you know, we were really challenged economically. And so our excursions, if you recall, Darius, on like the weekends and stuff is, or um, even on the weekdays rather, I'd take you to like construction sites and we'll look at the machines, the heavy machines moving about, like not to the sites, but we would like, I distinctly remember like packing sandwiches and we'd go to where there's construction and you were fascinated by these big locomotives and and or we just go somewhere interesting and and look at our surroundings and it would be usually at local parks where we can go by bus. If I was in the same economic situation, your your siblings would be doomed because there's no bus access. Uh, we've had to supply you with a vehicle to be independent and be able to meet your own needs. And so if we were in the same economic situation, I would say no. That's why, thankfully, you have had three different versions of, of your parents over time. And now we are who we are. We're just a little more tired. Our bodies ache a little more. But I do think that they will not have the same experience. They'll just have a, I think, a, a unique one where they spend a tremendous amount of time outside. You did too, but accompanied by me. Like I was tasked to come with you everywhere because we were in the city. Now we've got the kids could go out there and explore and play. And we have to sometimes remind them, right, to come in to eat and wash up and like live a different phase of their day. So, you know, that's distinctly different than yours. And I think that that's pretty special. But one, the other piece is, is that, you know, they don't get the same kind of going to their no- neighborhood grocer. We go all the way across the city because the grocer there that's there has our ethnic products. Life is a lot more inconvenient that way. But I think the stage of our lives, the timing of being in the county was 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 right. So right now, if I want to choose to go down to like Picard's and get snacks for us, I can choose to do that. If I'm worried, I mean, God love the folks at Picard's. They are lovely and I've never experienced anything odd there. But it took me some time to frequent these local establishments because I wasn't sure how well we were going to be received. And it wasn't until like, I think, three or four months that I actually went into these rural establishments because I built up the sort of the confidence and the um, I practiced to face whatever it was. And and so far, so far, I would say that it hasn't been a deeply harmful experience other than come election time, because that was really alarming to see so much support for like really ultra right wing politics where I know that that lens and perspective is, is resonating for a lot of the families here and individuals who vote. I also think that there's a deep uh, disengagement. So that's annoying for me as far as the questions of like, how do I, I like a deeply engaged community and that's why. And when I say deeply engaged, I mean, I want folks to show up and vote for what they want. Otherwise, you know, zippa the lippa. I worked the recent London election. Uh, you know, yes. I know, and there was like what, like twenty five percent voter turnout for the entire election. I was there from, I think, eight in the morning. Um, polls opened at like nine a.m. up until yeah. like nine p.m. or something like that. But we didn't get our, our first voter walked through the door after eleven a.m. Wow. So like two and a half hours of me just kind of just sitting there talking to the folks around me, and uh, yeah, like there was 
nobody wanted to show up. I, I had like maybe, you know, in the entire area, like my writing was a pretty big writing with a lot of people in it, but we probably collectively only had a few hundred votes, um, which is obviously a fraction of the amount of people that live in this entire area. So it's, it's pretty alarming. And, and coming from a young person, you know, I'm hoping that speaking to the engagement point that we do see a, you know, a spike in engagement and, and so, you know, upward trends of that, because again, a lot of people have a lot to say about politics. A lot of people have opinions and, you know, you would always want to wish that people exercise, you know, that, that you know, civic right to go and vote each and every time that they have the opportunity to do so. Otherwise, again, you know, zip of the lipa, you know, like it, I definitely agree. And that's honestly, you know, I'm in university, you know, I'm, I'm in poli sci, you know, we're learning about these things. And a lot of the, you know, the topic, a lot of the discussions um, right now is, is how we contribute as a young population to the political world and how much we contribute in contrast to how much we're, we're actually putting into it when it comes to votes. Yeah. Uh, and even the younger generations, you know, we're, we're kind of struggling because, you know, we have all these different priorities, you know, we're seeing heightened levels of stress and, you know, anxiety with all these other priorities we have with work and school, we're disengaged with politics, there's just, you know, I've heard too many, um, and I can't even say that I've been, you know, a perfect human, you know, that I've been perfectly engaged with everything, it does get overwhelming, there's a lot of things happening all over the world, all at the same time. Oh, yeah. way too frequently to be yeah. able to stay engaged but you know i still try my very hardest and again i've also been privileged to be in a family where that is a, a pretty big you know if we see something on the news we're talking about it in the family i might you know say a quick you know one two sentence to to spark up some you <laughs> drop these little things and then walk away and come back and see what you just caused yeah, and then we talk about it right that's yeah. what you do i might say a quick you know couple of sentences whether for or against the subject as a joke or whatever just to spark some debate but overall it's really just to get us talking about the the top you know the 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 issue that's been presented to us, I know for a fact, just within my group of friends, that that's not something that ever happens. You know, we, we're seeing these huge global mm -hmm. phenomenons happening, and I have people coming to me, asking me questions about it, because they have no idea what is happening. And things that are happening across the planet, yes, they're across the planet, but our government we have our agenda, we have our political party in power, you know, doing things that also has an influence on all of these things happening all over the, all over the globe. So you might have a perspective that is yeah. super against what is happening across the planet or super for, uh, you know, what is happening across the planet, no matter what it is. Uh, and you might not even know that your government is either supporting what you're against or is completely against what you're for. We're starting to talk about how this can happen because it's such a complex issue, but it's multifaceted for sure. It's definitely down to how we can get that engagement engagement going. And then on top yeah. of that, how we can kind of, I forgot the term for it, but how we can kind of get people to veer off of voting along, you know, their parents' Family line. Put a pin in that for a second. What's the impact of the way that, like, dismantling of journalism is happening right now? Like, do you notice that, I know you didn't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook. You thought that was the thing of my generation. And you're like, no, thank you. I'm not engaging there. But the changes with the CRTC and some of the, the, the legislation that has allowed for this type of like 
completely blocking of information off of one major platform is really, really frightening. But also we're seeing some of these world events that you're talking about over time We've started, we noticed this, but we're starting to really name it now saying, "Mm -mm, we don't have a balanced media because we're not getting balanced information. So speak to me a little bit about that. Tell me about this journalism and the world events, because I'm I'm really curious about your thoughts around what's happening there with, with the way that the media is choosing to essentially take sides before giving information. And that's another big thing that we're we're talking about in uh, in in some of my university classes, specifically in Canadian foreign policy, and and how media is a huge actor, and and how our policy is framed, and how we sort of act as a global actor, you know, as you know, a, a state. There's a huge disconnect on on what, and I'm not going to say that all media is now taking sides, that there isn't objective forms of media out there still, but we're starting to see more and more of that subjective media that does take a side that does have very specific vocabulary and 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 how they decide to portray certain events and it's appalling you know when you and especially when you're when it's about just horrific things that are happening i don't want to say specific issues i don't want to spark any there we're talking about world conflict we're talking about global economic destruction that sort of thing it's really just down to to their vocabulary like it's you can it's very very easy to see People are, are unfortunately eating it, it up like it's, you know, like it's breakfast, lunch and dinner, yeah. um, you know, no matter where you are, urban or, or rural. You know, I work in schools, so I work most of the time in, an herb, uh, in a school within the city of London. And then I also work in a school outside of the city. And I have conversations with parents all the time. And they might spew something that they've heard or they might talk about something that uh you know has been on their mind uh you know about what's been happening on x day or whatever you can easily tell that there's a huge difference on maybe even the media that they're listening to or or that they're taking in just depending on where they're from a lot of the, the 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 parents that i'm speaking to have a very different perspective on on certain things that are happening globally and i'm seeing that 150 percent um, so there is that urban rural divide when it comes to that media but again i still do believe that it just comes down to how they're they're taking sides uh and how it's clearly visible um just by the vocabulary um yeah. and it's again it's all a part uh, of, of of trying um to essentially feed into the into the national agendas like i said yeah. they're the media plays a huge role in 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 trying to put forth the state agenda unfortunately yeah. but it's been pretty much the how things have gone for for as long as pretty much humans have existed so so what do you think are the implications this is you bring up a really interesting point around the narrative and the vocabulary like terminology actual terminology yeah. used yeah. and folks uh, and their choices of media outlets so you know me for 20 years, I have been a devout supporter of Democracy Now! for international news. It's an independent yeah. news media source based out of New York. And I've been, that is my reliable international news source. And I, mind you, riddle my perspective with everything else um, from CNN to Al Jazeera to local news sources on the same issue if I'm really interested. And so that's my rhythm, but that's because I am skeptical of media, um, skeptical of the way that the West particularly portrays incidences of the global South and 
And that's why I've sort of armed myself, so to speak, for lack of better terms, with news media sources that I think are far more trustable than when you have corporate media conglomerates. And that is a really interesting, we can have a whole conversation on on, on media quality and folks' access to that. I want to go back to this passion that you have around talking about delineating from your parents' perspective. And me being a mama, like, I support that. I just hope that my, my children equip themselves with information that is sound and clear and that they understand it. They're engaging with issues that they're, they're passionate about, but they also understand you have a responsibility. You don't just formulate an opinion out of thin air about people and politics, sorry, and science and, you know, all of these things. So if you've done your work and you've done your research and you've actually built a perspective based on balanced sources, all the power to you to go out and vote the way you want. What do you think the impact, though? Because I do think that the perspective and the perception, perhaps, or the assumption in rural Ontario is that like people just vote along the parents' party lines and not necessarily and, and really tied to specific issues. So agriculture being like the interest, and I think that should be protected. So I can understand that. But what do you think are the implications? If that assumption is true, I haven't really, I didn't really dig into that. I was so... I wish you talked to me about this last night. I would have into it, dug into it a little bit more. What do you think are the implications of like generations just sort of following suit and voting, particularly in this sort of rural urban perspective? Yeah, so I think the, the major implications that, you know, we can see is we're, we're not leaving space for change. And again, mm-hmm. like, like you kind of said that we still have to be very careful. We can't just let, you know, the next generation kind of just, just veer off of, you know, into kind of a nightmare, but we still have to, you know, make sure that there's spaces for, for the next generations to kind of make their own decisions. And I, I definitely think that it's the access to information. That's the biggest thing that I'm definitely seeing from what I can see, you know, as somebody who works again in schools, these very young children, I am mostly around grade ones to sixes. They are speaking about things that I wouldn't even imagine when I was their age. And it's Mm. because, again, it's their access to information and their capacity to, to, to have that access to, to that information and how much they're, they're taking in. So, you know, there, there are pros and cons to it, but I think it's, it's the method of, of how it's happening is, is, you know, been a pretty big problem. And, And that's why we're seeing as much as we like to say that, the younger generation is significantly more progressive. We are definitely seeing also a very steep rise in far right, you know, ideologies in youth. I can definitely say that is a very, very true picture in rural Ontario from just the folks that I've been able to speak to just in multiple different settings. And the implications of, of, of having that is again, like, there's no room for change and we're going to see the repeated repeated you know messaging just throughout the generations different ways to say it now but just repeated repeated messaging with urban living you have the 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 capacity to come into contact with a number of people from different perspectives of life what your parents might say to you you'll probably take their word over another person's it'll roll off your back every word here and there again might roll off your back and you might take what your teacher said into more consideration, or you might take what your friend said, you know, from X place 
that might have a different way of living, whatever, into more consideration, which will completely frame how you see things. But if you're living in a pretty much a homogenous rural community with pretty much all with the same messaging, you're not going to have that same room for change. You're not going to have that same room for kind of different perspectives. There's not a lot of room for change. Uh, And again, with young people, you want to have them engaged so that they can make that room for change. But it's, it's, it's hard. You're 21. You once said to me you'd even go deeper in the country. Like, oh, yeah. We joke about being in fake country. So is that true? Like it's still two and a half years later? And because at first you were, you loved this. You were just rolling around in the back saying, like, I just want to see trees and animals. Yeah. <laughs> no more people, despite it being COVID. Like, so if you lived here, first of all, if you lived in this home, in this community um, in 2020, in full lockdown, First of all, would you have the same perspective and would you stay? It kind of boils down to the timing of things. Yeah. So if we were to kind of have, you know, early 2020 happen now, while we have fiber internet, I'd be fine. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Internet around here. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I asked you. So, yeah. it, it, I don't know. I, that might have been a make or break for me if I would have enjoyed it the same. But hypothetically, let's say we're in the same position. If I were to choose this house that we currently have or the house that we had in London before or the house in Ottawa, I would still take this house. And I would go again. Yes, I would go deeper in the country. For me, I really do believe it's it's the access to information. It's I think it boils down to that access to, to information because a lot of people have a lot to say. It's pretty mind boggling, especially in my classes, I mean, I'm talking about politics day in and day out. I'm meeting people each and every day with their own perspective on things, and they're saying the person. And I'm not saying that each there's a you know an opinion that's wrong or perspective that's wrong, right? I just like to have that that private. that access that, that access to the information. If you were to do your research, mm-hmm. so this wouldn't be true retention because let's say like this county would lose you, but you maybe in a different county that has perhaps been a little bit more sort of invested in, has more infrastructure set up. Because um, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Like, we didn't have, we just got fibered a few months ago, and our lives have changed, yeah. I think. Uh, financially, we've spent a lot less on internet, and all of us have far more head on, hair on our heads because we can now more than one device can operate at the same time and reasonably so. So should there be adequate infrastructure, you, you could possibly be retained for your lifetime in the county. Is that what you're saying to me? Well, absolutely. Like I, I love this. Okay. My ambitions are to stay in county life. Mm, can not, I have that in writing? Obviously, you know, I've, um, for, for, for a lot of people who don't know, I definitely had my moments where I wanted to grasp onto that Ottawa life, but, and I still do. I still definitely do. I would love to move back to Ottawa at some point, Um, but I wouldn't move directly back into the city, nor would I move back into suburban life. I would probably kind of look for the same vibe that I have here, Mm -hmm. right outside of Ottawa, you know, and, and, and the, you know, the surrounding counties out there. Um, where you know I can set up a life, for, you know, a comfortable, quiet life, you know, outside of all of the, uh, you know, unfortunate things that do happen, you know, within the larger cities. Just have your mom's room set up, and I'm, I'm there. I'm game. I'll support that as long as I have my, my yeah. little nook. 
you know, you mentioned before, this is coming from somebody who's had the privilege of, of being able to experience both urban and rural, who's had the, the capacity to move out of the city at the time that we did. We were initially looking for something in the city. Like, yeah. it's not like we were, you know, trying to find something rural, but it was kind of a blessing in disguise that we moved out here um, and, you know, did this at the time that we did it because, again, you know, with with everything that was going on economically and and with housing, it was it was a struggle, and and a lot of people I can't imagine were experiencing the very same things, but again, still didn't have the same privilege and, and opportunity that we did have to be able to find something um, that was gonna you know fit what we needed. So you know, we talked earlier on you touched on infrastructure around internet service. You're like, as long as I get fiber, if I had fiber uh, during the pandemic. No. I'd live in the county all day, every day. Okay, me too. I can't believe I asked that question. Like, I almost got hives again thinking about, because all the kids were homeschooled, right? Like, it was just such a stressful time where everyone was online, no. right? It's, Your first year university was yeah. all online. Back to the whole privacy thing. Um, in, in, in urban life, I couldn't go outside, you know, no. and, and do whatever I would like. You know, I, no. would, uh, I would be cramped up in my room literally 24 7 in classes i didn't have the same you know liberty to you know go outside and enjoy some fresh air and 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 privacy and and you know be kind of secluded away from other people um you go outside you can see the person looking across just behind you but if if i were to be living here with the same wi-fi i could go outside and, and take my classes i could go outside and you know enjoy my fresh air between classes whatever i couldn't really i could have done that in Ottawa, but it's I mean, I really different feeling. We're in a fishbowl. Yeah, a huge fishbowl. I think a lot of people nowadays, especially after COVID, are now valuing that time alone and that time away from people. Especially since they had so much time away from people, a lot of people don't want to go back to having that. It being in those spaces where they've got hundreds of people around them every day, all day. A lot of people are now realizing that work from home is a great thing. Everything from home is a great thing. Whatever they're starting to see the value of of you know wanting to live that private life, and that's why we're seeing a lot of people, aside from the economic side of things, are moving out into to rural communities because they value having that um, that privacy, that seclusion, and and sort of away from everybody. And especially since during COVID, the bigger cities were just epicenters for 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 COVID. Like they yes, there was a lot of infection. Um, so it's yeah, we're talking from a very privileged lens though well, like we, I, I, I can't i can't reiterate that enough like it's right we're talking from a lens where we've had the capacity to again at the right time um and with the right you know you know capacity to be able to make that move and speak from this perspective because i know there's a lot of people that needed to be in this you know in our position but unfortunately you know could not and did not find themselves in those positions so absolutely sure i mean you and i are are kind of like trained extroverts but we're really like deep introverts (laughs) even with each other we're like hello we love each other for the time that we can and then we like our isolated time right so not everyone's like that. Like you're saying, there's a f- lot of folks that feel uncomfortable. Like we went to the Business Achievement Awards. We're like, wow, this room is really full. It's awesome. But also like, it's really full. Great on the chamber for bringing everybody out on just our introverted selves. We're like, do we yeah. still do this? And yeah, of course we can. <laughs> now yeah. we're fully vaxxed and we're, we take precautions. I think it comes from a place of privilege to say that, you know, this isolation did a, was a good thing and being in further isolation to the isolation is even a better thing. 
that's a we're a bit of a strange bunch that loves that D. I, I've mm -hmm. learned when I'm speaking with my colleagues and community. I want to go back a few steps. So because I, I want us to kind of have a call to action. Like, what can we do? We talked about all the good things. We're bigging up the, the county. We want more people to come into the county, utilize the county for what it's worth. I want us to touch on this deep inequity. So the Federation of Canadian Muse uh, Municipalities, the FCM, a report, I think this came out a couple of years ago. I had a hard time finding the date on this one, but it's called Rural Challenges, National Opportunity, Shaping the Future of Rural Canada. And it said that municipalities own nearly two thirds of core infrastructure assets. Okay like roads, bridges, water, and wastewater facilities that are critical to Canadians' quality of life and being competitive as a, as a nation. Yet, many rural municipalities with limited tax bases and capacity struggle to meet their infrastructure needs. So, for example, if, like, if we were down and, down and out and really having a hard time financially and we wanted to utilize more of our land to grow food, on our septic, we wouldn't really be able to dig up that land in the same way. Um, we can find alternatives. We have plant boxes. That's what daddy grows stuff in. But let's look at this through the lens of folks who are not coming from a privileged perspective that don't have the option of going into town for amenities. Let's talk about this inequity. So we, we just said 27% contribution to GDP. If that's how we want to gauge people's value and worth, fine. Um, it is how people do in this capitalistic system. So let's talk that. What, what's next then? How do we, as we're anticipating this five to 10 year urban sprawl into the counties, how do we then advocate so that we can A, uphold everyone and be able to maintain everyone and sustain everyone and retain folks uh, in a good way and not create another massive problem? What are, what are your thoughts on that? What's next? Um, you said five to 10 years, right? Yeah, Did so I, I remember that correctly? Okay. Well, honestly, I believe five to 10 years, we're going to see that urban sprawl pretty much knocking on our front door. Um, and I think that's when we're going to start to see the call outs when people start coming out here and realizing that we don't have the same things that, you know, you might find in your, you know, your, your neighborhood in, in the city. Um, they're going to start to collectively call out the, you know, uh, you know, the provincial government or the county government to, to come out and, and put in the amenities that we need. And I think that's the only way that we're, we're going to see it. A lot of the counties are neglected. A lot of the communities in rural in Ontario, just rural Canada in general, if you're saying that 27% of, of our GDP is coming from rural communities, yet yeah. how many of the, the infrastructural assets do cities own? Two-thirds. Two Especially in our specific position. We're down the road from two two schools we have the infrastructure here but we don't have sewage we're contributing greatly to uh you know to the economies and we're not seeing that put back into our communities and again so I, how what's what do we do i think it do comes do? down to having that urban sprawl come here it, i think that's what it's oh really oh i, I don't know i, don't I know think that's what it's going to come down to i mean so you're saying <laughs> encourage people to come from the city so that we can have better infrastructure they didn't have better infrastructure until more people came here we didn't get the internet until more people moved here. Okay. No, I, that is true. That took a long so, time. It took a long so time. So what do you... Okay, so you want to know where I'm... Look, my face is getting hot <laughs> just talking about this because I feel like we're going to trade an old problem with a new one. What do you think no, that new problem would be? We are definitely trading, but again, we have to look at it in the perspective of how they're looking at it. The biggest thing, the reason why we had 
Quadro come in was because other companies didn't see that for our population that we'd be giving them the value of what mm. they would be giving us. Mm. So we have to look at it in perspective. Oh, people before profits. What a concept. People before profits. It's, but unfortunately, they see profits before people. <laughs> We've had our council members go out and, and vouch for these things to be put into our community. You know, for example, Wi-Fi, an actual cable, an actual cable network. But companies didn't want to do it because our community wouldn't give them the margins that they would want to see out of a community. Yeah. Yeah. So they refused to do it. And maybe do you think it has anything to do with like, oh, you know, the family lineage is this, uh, this community is typically like this. So we can, you know, corporations don't really have a whole lot of like consequence if they don't come in and set up shop and better serve our population. Right. I think they can kind of assume that what will be will continue. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what is will continue to be rather. And, and then you know, maybe just not have any consequence. So wait until the value goes up for them. They can mass the profit and off they go to providing the resource. So really it does mean more engaged folks delineating from your parents' perspective if that's what has been there for generations relatively thoughtlessly. Mm -hmm. So as things change, so you're saying bring people in, here's where, here's my big question. And I don't know if you remember me coming home and talking about this after a different sort of conversation about innovation. Because I was asked, if you remember, can we bring back the simplicity of like Mr. Rogers, Mr. Dress Up, the old, I don't, you probably have never even seen footage of this stuff in your life. Have you? Maybe. Uh, Rogers, oh, wow. Mr. Rogers? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, so. The question that was posed to me was, do you think, you know, we could go back to the simple things? And I, and immediately in my mind, I thought, I love innovation, but before we truly get to hardcore acting out our innovative ideas, we should have a conversation of what must be preserved. All industries, no matter what kind of product, service, what kind of idea it is. So that's my lens. Innovation is necessary when you bring new people in. You're thinking pretty creatively saying, you know what? Encourage people to come. Teach them how to be in the county. Great. What do you think, though, as we're doing that? Must we protect with all dear life? And I think this will be a good point to, to leave on. There's a lesson behind what we can talk about preserving versus innovating. And it doesn't have to be this or that. It can be both at the same time. We can innovate while we preserve things. What is that one thing? If you were to say, you know, one thing from rural life that we should protect and preserve, what should that be? It has to be a mix between our agricultural sector and the environment. Actually uh, got to speak, uh, you know, about climate change briefly in uh, one of my classes. And yeah, one of the big things that we have to do is it's inevitable. Like our population here in Canada is growing. You know, we've gone up millions in the past like five, five years or so. You know, we've gone up a substantial amount and we need to make sure that we have the infrastructure to support that rising population. But while we have to make sure that we have the infrastructure to support that, we also have to make sure that it's done. It's being done environmentally friendly, uh, mm -hmm. in uh, friendly ways. You have to make sure that you're you're paying attention to the, the the ecology in the area. You have to make sure that you're being mindful of of everything that's that's going on. You have to make sure that the jobs that you're giving out are green. You have to also make sure 
um, that you're giving these newly built resources, the, the new infrastructure, make sure that they're given out to people with, you know, equitably, you know, you have to make sure that people have the access to this infrastructure. You can't build up, what do they call it? McMansions up in, in rural, in, in the rural. I like that. In the rural. I like it and I don't like, ew, gross, but yeah. also say more. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm driving down to, to this other community that I work in and all along, you just see these newly built McMansions. I'm like, who can afford these? in, in yeah. this day and age right and it's in the county so and they're now the turning county. the benefit of having some space mm-hmm. and some safety yep. where the the houses are spaces apart you're not seeing that i i've noticed that too in 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 the yep. county here so it's okay uh, so yeah. no to that you want to bring people in but sustainably let's not do the mcmansions <laughs> Can let's, I have let's, let's not do the mcmansions but yeah I mean, i'm gonna say when, that word six times this week now darius because i think it's a great term really, yeah like to, to really sum up what I have to say, I think we have to do it sustainably and we have to make sure that, yes, the preservation is absolutely important, but I think what we have to do, we can't fall too far into this whole notion of trying to preserve things because people and things will change naturally. Yeah. Can I give you an example of what I'm thinking about preservation with respect to this question? Yeah. You like your country eggs, eh? You like your farm eggs? Yeah. You told me you can't go back now. Let's not go and then build the McGrocers <laughs> in in the county because we have very few that are not monocropping and providing local food. Let's protect those folks providing local food and providing value to our local food supply and production. So that to me is the one thing in rural Ontario that I hope that we preserve and the importance of that, buying local food. Is so important. I'm paying more attention to it in this phase of my life now that I'm, you know, where I'm at in life and thinking about what I'm consuming in a different way. Um, that's my thought. What I wanted to say to to that point is like, how do we ensure that? Again, like we're speaking from a perspective, from a privileged perspective. Like we have to yeah. be able to take into into mind that not a lot of people have that access to, you know, having you know that that local grower that is able to because again like you also have to think that there's immediate labor that is being put in into yes. that right and it's it's i'm not saying that we we can't support like we have the capacity to go and support all the local growers around here yes not everybody does they yes. would rather take the super cheap eggs that you know don't have anything that's coming from walmart that's why they would vouch for for walmart or whatever loblaws or whatever for the affordability piece, the affordability component. piece, especially in today's day and age. So I yeah. think that's what a lot of people are are, are seeing. And again, we're also because I've, I've again I've spoken to people that you know they're seeing that less and less people are coming out and supporting their local their local shops. Um, and it's because again, like they can't afford it. They they can't afford the fact that you know maybe whatever the produce that they're selling or their their any services that they're selling um, or products that they're selling isn't uh you know is, is more expensive it's been something that we've been talking about for weeks this has <laughs> been a, a big issue you know, with affordability you know how you know our domestic policies and our domestic social environments and our foreign uh social environments affect every walk of life no matter yeah. what you think or say you have to think about it from a number of different perspectives so well, a couple of things I want in writing. You're going to stay in the countryside. You're going to build me a little nook in your home. Though you will delineate from your parents' voting patterns, you'll do so with 
great caution and research and perspective taking. We'll do this again, maybe? No, I, I really did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. You know what would really help me and this podcast keep going? Leaving us a four-star rating or even a review. I'd really appreciate that. To connect with other rural Canadian co-conspirators, subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter or drop me an email. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm. And the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Luni Lenape, and Adirondwan peoples. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Munsee Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler, I'm committed to deepening my understanding of colonialism dismantling other systems of oppression, my commitment to the TRC calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and to Spirit for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who I believe still walk the earth. Until next time, 